0: You're listening to Hainai, by Motsi Dapul, Episode 14.5, The Lover, a Hainai short story. Claudette Jean Villeneuve. She had not heard her name spoken in years, near a century now. It was fascinating to her how such time crawled every day as long and tiresome as the last. It wasn't supposed to be like this, and perhaps, if she had had someone to spend them with, perhaps it would have flown. But Claudette Jean was hardly so lucky. She remembered being lucky for a very long time and it was only the first few years of a lifetime, one she had lived and lived and lived, but it felt like the forever she missed from a life that no longer belonged to her. In the beginning, hers was a family of distant, lower nobility. "'reaping the benefits of such ties in a flourishing land full of opportunities, "'but beneath a notice of such noble houses, "'who thought them too insignificant, if they thought of her family at all. "'In a similar fashion, Claudette Jean was the second youngest in a family of twelve, "'and the sixth of eight sisters, "'therefore insignificant in the eyes of her family.' She was just as insignificant in the order, though to her credit, she was hardly the only one. When they first received the invitation, remarkable only in that it had come from the well-respected head of the Sauvard family, only Claudette Jeanne thought it was worth looking into. She who always had her head in the clouds, who wasn't the favored baby among her siblings, but certainly not responsible for much in the way that her elders were. She was the only one who expressed interest, and so she was allowed to spend her days in the company of many young, bored, high-society figures in bustling Toronto. Few of them did anything to contribute to Sauvar's little project, beyond the money they spent each day in his and each other's company. MAGIC a fancy the young Villeneuve girl thought enjoyable, even fascinating, but ultimately frivolous. Even as they began to tap into power arcane, which was as science to men like Salvard and his favored few, they did not appreciate the gravity of the work. Not until the first death. A Vagabond of No Consequence Bought off from the local constabularies, drunk of a night guard. He was the first they tested, for Savards fraught little experiment, for the first focus of the hundreds they would eventually create. Claudette Jean saw that day clear in her mind, for all the other days that had fallen to the wayside in the century that followed. Not for the death that she witnessed, for indeed, she would witness many more in her lifetime. No, not for that. It was, clear in her memory, the first day she truly saw Marianne, for the first time. It was not the first time she had taken notice of the one woman in Savar's inner circle. It was impossible not to notice her, as a novelty, if nothing else. The daughter of a black motel tycoon, the only woman of color among the elite that many of them had ever even met. Claudette Jeanne's fairweather friends, none of whom she could name or remember now, thought that Marianne Weeks was an amusement, even to Savard, who showed her a surprising amount of deference. It took only a single moment for Claudette Jean to realize that she was the only one of them worth looking to. On that day, before her, a man losing his life to Savard's first focus, a ring he had been known to wear, bearing his family's crest, and standing to his right, Marianne, eldest and heir to the newly established Weeks family fortune, Their eyes met only for a moment, golden brown locking onto dark brown near black in the shadow of the hall. And all the rest fell away. What Claudette Jean remembered of their time together was that Marianne's gifts had had meaning. Every little trinket affixed with the briefest note like the scientific observations she had of her many magical experiments. Like your hair. The exact color of your eyes in the midday sun. Your favorite flower in the summer. It was unutterably sweet, in ways that nobody would have guessed simply speaking to Marianne. She was not openly affectionate in the way of society women among their peers, she was matter-of-fact, unsmiling, plain perhaps to others, and not one to chase trends from Europe, or care about appearance beyond being presentable. She and Claudette Jean were as night and day, in that sense. She was a dreamer to Marianne's realist, extravagant in her gifting where Marianne was simple, flighty where Marianne was as reliable as a cornerstone. It was truly comforting, to love someone so sure of everything. She was careful, secretive, but never once was the eldest of the week's children coy. Where Claudette saw her dalliance as a beautiful dream, their own little magic, Marianne treated it as a matter of fact. Once, when Claudette Jeanne had expressed one of her most impossible wishes, that they might be together, forever, like wives without husbands. Marianne had proposed a solution for this future Claudette Jean didn't truly believe was feasible. Perhaps, she had said, if her beloved was willing, her brother, Isaac Weeks, a solid, lively young man that Claudette Jean got along with swimmingly, could court her in her sister's stead. It would chase away the questions— Suspicions over the time Claudette Jean spent at the week's household. And give them a future together. There were plans they had dedicated themselves to. With Isaac joyful in his service to his beloved sister. That was... Until he died. And the future together the lovers dreamed of... Died with him. there were things CJ did not know at the time, and she could not tell now what was her memory and what was a lie she used to tie everything together in a way that made sense. She was not close to Savard's schemes, as Marianne was. She only knew what Marianne told her, and what she believed, for she believed in her lover implicitly. Savard wanted to change the world for the better help others, a philanthropist and a leader, through and through. Someone who was not simply a dreamer without merit, but one who laid plans the practical, reasonable Marianne could help follow through. She, and others. Others CJ could no longer name. All she could remember was Marianne, and Savard, and one with the initials RH, whose face was especially unremarkable, but whose cufflinks, bearing his letters, somehow stuck out in CJ's mind. They were doing good. They had been doing good. The day CJ had provided many small, unremarkable trinkets, and their combined power had given them their immortality, had been a joyous one. The day Marianne had taught CJ to call her own power, to identify it by feel, by sound, by scent, and had taught her each of the named spells that she had scribbled into her many little journals, that had been transcendental. Then came the day, a contingent of three tried to stage a coup, trying to kill one of Savard's inner circle. C.J. could only remember, yes, it was George Langford among them, if only because they had had some kind of rapport before he had taken to his little band of ambitious, power-hungry degenerates. If C.J. could pinpoint the moment things began to change, it was perhaps that day. It was the day Savard learned that there were those among the Ordo he could not trust. It was the day the rest of them began to fear they would next be destroyed, as George Langford and his contingent were, by those more powerful than they. Their numbers dwindled, but CJ did not notice it, not when, only a few short weeks later, Isaac Weeks was killed, not by murder, nor by tragic accident, nor sudden and inescapable illness. CJ did not know then what it could have been, but she remembered looking upon his serene face under the glass of an expensive coffin and sobbing as though losing a loved one. She did care for him, in her own way, but if she was honest with herself, she was as much mourning the loss of a certain future as she was a man that was like a brother to her. Nowadays, she had a guess what had taken Isaac Weeks' life. Sometimes CJ wondered if she could feel some of his life force inside her. For every focus delivered a few years to each of their order, fueling their immortality. After her brother died, Marianne changed. It was imperceptible at first, and she still showed CJ affection and love. But she began to work later hours in her study. Even on the occasion, CJ would come to visit her and stay the night. When CJ tried to ask what she was doing, she was vague, scattered, sometimes even paranoid. The put-together genius of a woman that CJ had fallen in love with seemed stretched in ways that she could not articulate and perhaps did not wish to see. CJ still came to the Ordo as often as before, but the atmosphere had changed. At times, she found herself invited and only she and a handful of others were present. The rest disregarded, left out for Savard hardly trusted the rest. Not anymore. CJ suspected if Marianne had not vouched for her, she would have been among those Savard pushed out. She could not remember much else near the end. One day, she convinced Marianne to put down her work and sleep in their bed. The next, Marianne, was dead. CJ froze then, holding her lover and finding her cold. There was little she could remember of that time, but she must have sent for Savard and his inner circle first, for she did not know who else would have answers. It was Havard who touched her arm and eased her hands open to let go of the corpse that had once been her lover. It had been another of the inner circle that had checked Marianne's vitals, her body for any wounds, and her magic. He was as devastated as CJ had been, as any who loved Marianne would have been. And through tears... He had told Savard that there was nothing of her magic left. Though CJ could no longer remember his voice, she still remembered his words. How could an immortal woman die? That was the question CJ would ponder for decades. Savard was kind to her when he didn't need to be. They had never spoken of their relationship, but doubtless it was an open secret among those who respected and adored Marianne about as much as her lover did. He gave her time and space to grieve in ways the world would not allow her, for nobody knew she had lost a wife, for they had never been such in the eyes of the law. It was inappropriate to be so broken over the death of a friend. For a time, her own family thought she had gone mad, The weekses, the ones remaining, after the deaths of their eldest siblings, allowed her to stay with them, even when they perhaps should have shunned her for the ruin that seemed to surround her, that touched their family. Soon she left the Ordo. There was nothing there she wanted, not truly. She lived nothing but a half-life for a time until those around her began to notice that she did not age. So she left. First for Paris, where she settled for a time, before things began to fall apart there. While she was there, enjoying her time in Paris like a passing dream, she received word from Sauvard that he had left the Ordo. After that, she never heard from him again. She traveled the world where she could. She had accrued wealth from her family and put much of it aside, something Marianne had taught her from her father a lifetime ago. She visited places she stored away in her mortal memory, and though she might forget the time and place, she would remember the shape of mountains, the scent of flowers she could find nowhere else She returned to Canada some time later, and eventually settled in a Toronto she was starting not to recognize. A few of their old order tracked her down. She was among Savard's trusted, and so she was regarded far more highly than she deserved. But she rejected all of them. The only one she truly even knew these days was Vanessa. She had been an unremarkable woman in the days of Salvard's leadership, but had somehow outlasted most of their peers, able to achieve prominence in the public eye while maintaining the secrecy of her age. It seemed that her cleverness and prowess had gone unnoticed, but it was clear she now had the upper hand. CJ heard whispers of a man she remembered only as R.H., acting in the shadows. And then the Benefactor. A name she learned to fear for the one of the Ordo that had cast a spell on all of them without their notice. None could remember his name or his face or his power. But of them, his power grew the most and the slow disappearance of the few allies that had reached out to CJ over the decades proved that. Even then, the years crawled by, and C.J. simply lived a life she lost in her limited memory. Nothing worth remembering in the long run. A haze over her existence that she learned to live with. Until the day she saw the necklace, the first trinket Marianne had given her so long ago. Around the neck of a lovely, smiling woman that reminded C.J. briefly of how she had been before the Order, before Marianne and her loss, but stronger, somehow, like she had touched loss and chose not to run from it, not in the way CJ had. The necklace had been among the things she had given away or sold or simply left behind, whether in the Weeks' home or her own. And for the first time in a long time, she reached out to feel power emanating from the people she saw sitting together, especially the woman with eyes so brown they were nearly black. She did not look like Marianne, not in so many ways. Her lips seemed more inclined to smile, and she was dressed like a dreamer. She was warm and open, round-faced and pretty. And yet, looking at her, CJ felt something for the first time in decades. Clarity. Purpose. And in her heart, fear. You're listening to High Night. by Motsi Dapul.